0: This podcast does not constitute financial or investment advice. It is for educational, general information, and entertainment purposes only. Please consult with your own financial advisor before making any financial decisions.
1: When we are afraid of money... First, I just want to question that. And that's kind of how I start that chapter. It's like, what are we actually afraid of? Because money is just a thing. It's like saying you're afraid of a pen, you're afraid of your scrambled eggs. Like it's not (laughs) it's not a state of mind like loneliness and rejection and some of the other fears that I tackle earlier on in the book. It is just this thing. And so, and yeah, we are afraid of it. Even the word itself sometimes sends shivers up our spine. And I would offer that. It's not so much the thing of money, it's not the physicality of it, it's what it symbolizes. And it's your relationship to the money because there's a story there that maybe you haven't unpacked, that you're afraid of facing.
0: You're listening to Banking on Girls, the podcast that explores the importance of financial literacy for girls and young women. And I'm your host, Marina Batmiwala. Join me on this journey to uncover insights and inspiration. Hi everyone. My guest today is Farnoosh Tarabi, a best-selling financial author and creator of the So Money podcast, which has over 25 million downloads. Farnoosh holds a degree in finance and international business from Pennsylvania State University and a master's in journalism from Columbia University. And As one of the country's favorite money experts, she's been featured in countless publications and on TV, including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, NBC, and CNN. Farnoosh's latest book is called A Healthy State of Panic, Follow Your Fears to Build Wealth, Crush Your Career, and Win a Life. And make sure you're listening right to the end because today we're also going to take a question for Farnoosh from the listeners of this podcast. Welcome, Farnoosh. Thank you so
1: much for having me. It's so nice to sit down with you. We met in Los Angeles at a book event, and you were so kind to invite me onto your podcast. It's nice to make a reconnection.
0: It's great. And I really enjoyed your book, which I purchased that evening. Thank you. And what I really like is the authenticity of it and the way you've woven your own life journey. You're very vulnerable, I think, in every chapter in a different way. And, you know, each chapter covers a different type of fear. And, you know, fear is part of everyone's life and everyone's upbringing, but people process it in such different ways. And I've heard you say that fear is you know, the number one issue that comes up from your listeners on your podcast, which is about money. So in your book, you talk about 10 different types of fears, but you really don't get to the fear of money till chapter six. So why is that?
1: Well, I think the fear of money, you know, the way I structured the book was I wanted to talk about these different fears, fear of money being one of them, but almost in a chronological way as we live life and experience life. So we don't have the fear of money as children, most of us. But we do fear rejection. We do fear loneliness. We fear FOMO in some cases as teens and young adults. And so the book kind of goes chronologically through fear as we experience it as humans. And so money is more central to the book for two reasons. One, because I think it kind of falls in the middle of life. Like we get to become adults and then we're suddenly like, oh my gosh, I have to pay taxes and I have to budget and investing. What is that? And I'm afraid of all the uncertainty that goes into it. And Also, I think with the fear of money, it's not like we fear money and we don't fear these other fears that I've just talked about in the book. For example, we fear loneliness and rejection and failure and FOMO. All of that, I think, dovetails the fear of money. And so to get to the fear of money, I felt like I had to first work through some of these other fears that we experience early on in life that also show up quite too often when we're in the midst of panicking about money.
0: I want to now read a quote from your book. And this is what you say. You say, and now I want to tell everyone, especially women, to be less afraid of money and more afraid of your attitude to money. So what is that about? When we are afraid of
1: money, first, I just want to question that. And that's kind of how I start that chapter is like, what are we actually afraid of? Because money is just a thing. It's like saying you're afraid of a pen. You're afraid of your scrambled eggs. Like it's not, (laughs) it's not a state of mind, like loneliness and rejection and some of the other fears that I tackle earlier on in the book. It is just this thing. And so, and yeah, we are afraid of it. Even the word itself sometimes sends shivers up our spine. And I would offer that it's not so much the thing of money. It's not the physicality of it. It's what it symbolizes. And it's your relationship to the money because there's a story there that maybe you haven't unpacked, that you're afraid of facing. And so to not have a healthy relationship with money, that is what I'm telling people to be afraid of. You know, you should be afraid of that because that is what ends up derailing us so often. You know, it's to make an example out of this, people often say, you know, debt is bad. Well, what is debt? It's just a loan. It's a contract, right? It's a borrowing contract but it's how we relate to that financial transaction and that relationship. It's how we understand it. It's how we take advantage of it. It's how we respect it or honor it or disrespect it or not honor it is when the trouble starts or when things can go right. So it's about having first a solid relationship, a healthy relationship with money is the goal because I think so much else falls into place after that when you can feel as though you are in a place of empowerment, you are somebody who is curious and you're going to ask questions. You're someone that trusts that you're capable of being able to learn about money. So often we come to this with a negative relationship. We feel insecure. And so that's what I think is foundationally what we ought to work on. That's the real work, the work that matters because the rest of it is just accessible and easy to figure out. But this is the part where I think we all get stuck. And it's even just the feeling of like, I'm capable, I'm capable of doing this, or it's even right for me to want to be wealthy. I come across this a lot. This is a broken relationship with money and we should fear it. Feeling as though, you know, this is just maybe wrong for you to want to be wealthy and rich because we so often equate that in our culture with this sort of like greed and having like bad sense of priorities and especially women, right? And yeah. I don't know if men feel this as much, but I certainly have felt that yeah. at
0: periods in my life. Certainly anecdotally, I have experienced exactly what you're talking about with people, women I know, and you know, even myself to a certain extent, I'll say that. And you use the word empowerment. This is a very important word when it comes to women and money. You know, you've talked about very wealthy women and accomplished women in your book, including Queen Latifah, who you personally interviewed on your podcast. And these women have essentially given away their power when it comes to managing their own finances. And that's exactly the reason I started this podcast, because so many accomplished women I knew had little confidence. So, you know, the reasons are complex. You talked about some of them. And actually, it's a pretty deep level of analysis that you do to get to this point. How can we raise our goals to not be afraid of money and ironically, not be afraid of making money?
1: Well, I think first we encourage them to make the money. I think, you know, I have a daughter, she's six. She just joined the Girl Scouts. She can't wait to sell those cookies. And I hope that that enthusiasm to go out there and earn stays with her. That was innate in me as well. I think sometimes it might be just part of who you are, but I think it can be learned. And I think it can be something that we can get kids excited around. This idea of like money being a tool to help you get what you want. I always recognize that as a kid because- I think because I saw my parents struggle and my mom not having the freedom to spend because she wasn't an earner in the household and she was always the person asking for the money and that's not something that I ever thought I wanted to do. So I always equated, make your money, you will unlock your freedom. And so they didn't tell me that, but I watched it and I watched the opposite play out and realized I didn't want that. So I think that that is so important is to first just demonstrating if you're a working parent demonstrating to your kids that yeah sometimes work is hard but that my goodness what a privilege right to be able to get up have work make an impact and then get a paycheck for that and that to be able to have the agency to decide what to do with that money that's the stuff that I think it's important to bring your kids along that journey and show them all sides of working you know but that ultimately you've chosen to do this you've chosen this path and that it has awarded you so much, afforded you so much in your life. And to get them working, you know, I grew up in a household where grades mattered more than anything. And still, I found ways to find a job here or there. I babysat. I was a hostess at a restaurant. But as soon as my grades started to take a hit, my parents would say, you're no longer doing that. You're never leaving the house. I'm different now. I think that it's more important. I'd rather they have real life work experience where they're knowing what it means to be accountable. They know what it means to earn money and then maybe blow it and lose it and then be you know, in a bind because they can't buy something for themselves. They were going to with their budget that they got from their job. I and mean, there's so much to learn from just having a job. And I would rather they get bees, but be able to have this early understanding of what it means to earn and the responsibility that goes with it. And I've interviewed many entrepreneurs. It's not a coincidence. So many of them had jobs as young adults early on. And I have to believe there's a correlation there, you know, where you just get so much education. And I know that our country can do so much better with financial literacy in the schools. And I would love that. But I think you and I and everyone listening, probably when we think about the moments in our life where we really learned things, it was because we did something or we it was an exercise we put ourselves out there you know learning from a textbook gosh i couldn't tell you anything i've learned from textbooks it's all been real life experience so making that a part of maybe the academic experience forcing it even upon our our young students i think is a good thing so that's one thing and again i think it's about sticking with this topic of literacy and young girls i think it's important for them to know that your financial journey and your financial life is not just about budgeting, spending and saving. It's about investing and creating and investing in yourself, investing in the stock market. I think young boys get an introduction to that much more than young girls. If they do, boys are getting it more than girls. I think things like concepts like entrepreneurship and investments and taking risk. And I think that would have been, at least for me, such a game changer if I had learned those things early on. And I often ask guests on my show, Mm -hmm. you know, what something that you wish you had learned growing up about money? And the women were often, say, investing.
0: Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. And I actually have boy and girl twins who are are teenagers. And I'm doing my damnedest to you know, treat them equally, obviously. But the boys are just talking about it more with their friends. You know, they'll talk about stocks and I have to like, really like remind them, go and, you know, look at the stock that you're following for the girls. So it's, we have to do more for the girls to get them there, I think.
1: Yeah. And I just did an interview with somebody who's starting a women run a bank sort of, I can't call it a bank actually, because it's a, it's not actually a chartered bank, but it's a fintech that is powered by a bank and their whole mission is to keep women in mind as they're building products, as they're messaging, as they're building the company. And she, the guest, we used to work for one of the biggest credit card companies and knows from experience just how much lack there is in the financial world and in our the culture of how we talk about money and engage around money that it's really almost always centered around men. And what they want. And, you know, I think it's so crazy to me, like 2024, and we're still behaving this way, but I think yeah. there's so much room for growth there. There
0: is, there's so much work to be done. Cambridge University did a study which is quite eye opening, and it found that many money behaviors are learned by the age of seven. Oh, gosh. And that means that parents. To me, that means that parents are really the most influential role models from a very early age for money habits that manifest themselves later in life. So yeah. who was your greatest influence? You talk a lot about your dad and you would obviously talk about your mom as well.
1: Yeah, my parents were so influential in the money space. One, as Middle Easterners, we talk about money more than most cultures and definitely more than the Americans do. And so Growing up around the kitchen table, the dinner table, we would talk about real estate. We would talk about the potential layoffs at my dad's company. We would talk about the stock market sometimes. But, you know, at least I got, it was familiar. There was a fluency. Mm -hmm. I wasn't getting these deep dives. I remember one time my dad showed me his portfolio of credit cards, which I don't recommend anybody keep. But it was for him as an immigrant, you can imagine earning credit in this country, it felt like a rite of passage. And it was a real pride point for him. So he would go to the department store, the gas station, Visa, Amex, and apply and get the cards. And he wasn't that he even wanted to use them, but he just liked the accumulation of it and the card with his name. And it just felt, he felt like an American. In Iran, there really isn't much of like a credit system like there is here. And so, you know, it would show that stuff to me and I wouldn't get it at the time, but I now looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I see what he was doing and it helped me a lot as I got into my own life and as an adult. And I wasn't afraid to just even, you know, I wasn't afraid of money in the sense that I wasn't afraid to ask questions. Mm -hmm. I wasn't afraid to, you know, speak up and want for things sometimes, you know, whereas my peers sometimes struggled with that because I think there was that lack of understanding and there was no context. You know, they were kind of learning it all for the first time in their
0: 20s. Yeah. That's what I've come to learn, that, that a lot of families just do not talk about money. And so we're here to break down the barriers. They think it's rude.
1: They think it's inappropriate. And I think there's a lot of shame sometimes associated with some of the financial ways that you've gone about your life, your family. And so again, you know, so much to unpack. There's a story there, stories. But if we can't even talk about it, what's left?
0: It's never too early to teach kids about money. How are you teaching your own two children about money?
1: Well, I'm trying to meet them where they're at a little bit. So my daughter is six. My son is nine. I can already tell my daughter is much more like me in the way that she has a curiosity and really wants to earn and save. She asked for an ATM machine for her Christmas gift, which is She's actually using it more as a bank than, you know, she's not really making withdrawals, but she likes the sounds and the, you know, it's a toy, but she, you know, and she gets to like type in the numbers and there's a comes with a credit card and she feels very professional with it. And I will entertain that. I will indulge. And then that becomes an opportunity to talk about money with her. And again, with the Girl Scouts, I think with my daughter, it's going to be more fluid. They're going to just be natural moments to talk about money because she's going to initiate. With my son, I think it's going to have to be more deliberate. And with him, I think it's going to require more me pushing him to encouraging, you know, I should say to get the jobs and earn. And also I think it's important for parents to, and I'm going to try to do this, it's hard, but allowing their kids to fail with money within boundaries, right? So I just had a woman, a mom reach out to me on my podcast to say, Hey, I have a 17 year old daughter. She has a job, which is great. But she's such a consumer, especially with social media. She's constantly getting bombarded with ads and all this stuff around makeup. And she just goes to Sephora and cashes out her paycheck and won't listen to me. She says, it's my money. I can do whatever I want with it. And I said, but is it really? She's still living under your house. My parents would have said, and they did, any money I made, I had to save half of it automatically. And that was it. If I wanted to have a job, that's fine. But if I'm coming home after that job to their house, I would have to still follow their rules. And even though that check said my name, you know, technically maybe I could have like fought them on it, but I did as they said. And I'm so glad. And I think with my son, I think that's where there's going to be some, hopefully some learning is that he'll get the job, he'll make the money, and we'll have some ground rules around that, you know, where you're going to save 50% or whatever it is. And then with whatever remains, you can spend it, but then we are no longer going to be paying for, let's say the gas in your car or you know, food out with your friends. So then this money isn't just fun money. It's actually, there are budgetary items that he will need to take care of And one month. He may fall short and he's going to feel the pain. I mean, I think having some pain associated with your financial failure, it's good. It's good. The brain doesn't like it, Yes. And so it doesn't want to repeat it and you will remember the next time and you will hopefully not
0: fall into the same hole. This impulse control, I think with teenagers and young adults and, you know, adults as well, obviously, but that's something that moms talk to me about. And I think that idea of already having a framework, and I think, you know, it does boil down to a value system, right? What is worth your money and not right. worth your money, right? So. Yeah,
1: I think you have to encourage them to want for things that's a different mentality. I think I grew up always being told no, which also encouraged me to want for things that to go out and get things on my own. So yeah, there has to be like an understanding that if if you're providing everything for your kids, they're not going to be motivated to go even begin to learn how to make the money, to then learn how to budget it and then learn how to invest it and learn how to save it. So there has to be, I think at the very beginning, this desire to go out and earn a paycheck.
0: Yeah. So, Vanush, what advice do you have for people raising girls in today's world? I
1: think it's important for them to know that money is equally for them as it is for for boys, that that, that this is a domain that while traditionally has been presented and built and marketed Mm -hmm. to, by, and for men, that that's not right. And the world is changing and we, we need for them to Believe and note that they have a stake in this, and that it's important and I hope that through my own modeling, I can teach my daughter that when a woman makes more, when a woman has money, you know she has options and she's happy, and it's just I can't imagine a world, although there are many <laughs> worlds out there where this is not the case for women, and this is you know we don't have the same freedoms. So that's one thing. And I, I want to encourage them to know that, you know, wanting to be wealthy is cool, is good. It may not be branded as virtuous, especially, yeah. you know, girls and women to want to be rich. It's like, oh my goodness. Well, where are your priorities? That this is like, what, what's more important than having an abundance of a resource that's going to afford you options in your life when sometimes the world does work against you because you're a woman. But a woman with money, she has license, she has agency. It doesn't solve all the problems, but I would love to run that experiment. I'd love to run that experiment. So let's give all the women more money.
0: Yeah, you know, I think
1: the role will become a better place.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the two most important words you mentioned were options and freedom. And I, yeah. think, I guess now you made me think of my mom and I was I guess, very lucky looking back where she said, Marina, you have to be able to support not just yourself, but an entire family if you need to. And that's the way she put it. So that reminds me, I grew up with a similar philosophy and
1: I often tell people, you know, and, and I'm saying this comes from a good place, but nobody cares more about your money than you nobody will ever care more about your money than you. And it's not because people don't love you. It's not because people are out to get you, but it's just that money is very personal and people are busy running their own financial lives, you know? And so you have to be at the forefront of advocating for yourself, knowing that it's your right to ask questions and to fight for your power and fight for your worth so important because nobody else is going to do it for you. And even if they do, they're not going to do it as well as you because they're not going to want it as much as you. So keep that in mind too. I mean, I worry sometimes for the, you know, the younger generation where not to say that they haven't been through adversity. I mean, going through COVID and that alone, especially for the teens, terrible. And we're seeing, of course, the ramifications of that. But I, I think that as parents, again, maybe it's not so much generational, but I think it's something you have to work through. It's like, you just want to protect your kids. You just want to make sure that they're safe, that they're happy. And sometimes you overcorrect and you overdo it and you don't allow them to fail. You don't allow them to feel pain. You don't allow them to work through their rejection and their anxiety and their loneliness. But I think it's so important because that's what makes you stronger in the end. And again, it's not easy. So I don't want to say, like, oh, it's going to be so easy for me, but it's what I'm conscious of. I think having just a raised consciousness around that can be so helpful.
0: Great advice. And now we're going to finish off with a question from a listener of my podcast. And this question comes from Katrina J, a mother of three boys. And her question is, Vanoush, what is the number one piece of advice that you'd give parents with young kids starting their financially independent lives?
1: Well, not to sound like a broken record, but I think it's about encouraging them to negotiate for themselves through work and jobs. So for young kids, maybe they can't go get a job at Abercrombie & Fitch or whatever it is, right? If you're nine years old, if you're 11 years old, what do you do? And I got this great tip from a dad. He said that he encourages his kids to go around the house and identify something that is needs service, needs attention. Maybe it's that, oh my gosh, our Tupperware drawer is a mess or the garage needs a sweep or the attic is a disarray. Or, you know, every day, none of the beds get made, whatever it is. Or, you know, if they're even older, like, mom, you wanna get be a TikTok star, let me film your reels, you know, whatever it is. I think I have some entrepreneur friends whose kids like do their editing now for social media. So what you're really encouraging them to do is to identify, you know, opportunities and sort of problems, but what are the opportunities? And then what is the solution? So they're gonna come to you with a proposal. I wanna do this, this is my plan, I wanna, you know revamp the the attic or what have you. It's going to take two weeks. And Okay. What do you want to charge for that? So then they have to come back to you with a price and then you negotiate it. I mean, you're basically raising young entrepreneurs yeah. in this, but along the way, you're teaching them to be problem solvers, to be in service, to think strategically, to think about money. And then of course, on the other side of it, once they make the money, there's a whole education there on what they're going to do with it. The other thing too, is that With young kids, we tend to think that money is very much like a one purposeful tool. Like we get it and then we spend it. Especially when you're young, you don't see it as like this multifaceted tool. There's a great curriculum and great resource for anybody, it's called Money Savvy Generation. And they started, kind of put them on the map was this piggy bank that has four slots, save, spend, donate, invest. Since then there have been many more like products. But the idea is that you want to teach young people that money has many capabilities and with money, you have choices. And so, you know, it encourages young people to start seeing money as this dynamic tool, purposeful, purpose-driven sometimes if it's, you know, you want to say for your charity, but that I think can also be a great foundational tool for kids And a great sort of centerpiece to start having conversations around your family values. And one other tip is uh, if you're really interested in teaching kids about investing, I have another anecdote of a family that would get together every month and pick an investment that they were going to, they were all going to pick their own investments and they were all going to like come back with their reports who had the best performance that month. And, you know, we don't want to encourage stock picking, but I think when you're young, it's just a good entry point and getting you to understand how even the stock market works.
0: Yeah, especially companies that they're familiar with, they can follow them. And Yeah, I hope we get to do that in our home. I have no doubt you'll be doing that soon. Fanuj Tarabi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Banking on Goals podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate the podcast and be sure to hit subscribe or follow so you can receive notifications of new episodes. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram and at BankingOnGoals.com.